It's good to see you. My name is Jason Hatch. Let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and happy Father's Day, especially to the fathers in the room. Um, obviously, many, many years ago, 15, 20 years ago, uh, we were doing an outreach uh, on a community college in uh, Irving in the Dallas area. Uh, I was sharing the gospel and preaching and trying to be uh, very evangelistic on the campus of uh, Northlake Community College, and I remember there was a particular lunch that we provided free pizza. A lot of students came, a lot of non-Christians, very uh, vocal non-Christians came to uh, listen to the Bible study, and I felt when I was done that I had just crushed it. And I thought just, man, what an awesome delivery I gave of the gospel. And uh, I remember just trying to have some honest dialogue with the guy that uh, lingered a little bit after. And I said, hey, what'd you think? He goes, man, uh, I didn't understand a word you said. And I thought I was very humbled. And that was like a big moment in my life to think, man, it, it, I, I need to really be careful um, that in presenting the gospel, make it very accessible to everyone. So two things that I've tried to do uh, over this last 20 years of of preaching and teaching week in and week out is to constantly, um, if we use big theological terms, which are honestly important, to try to define them and to try to make things constantly accessible to everyone. Um, so whether you have any biblical um, knowledge or not, you understand any theological terms or not, you get to understand the message of Jesus and the message of Christianity. So if you are a, a skeptic uh, all the way to, if you've been following Jesus for 70 or 80 years, uh, really want to preach in a way that uh, makes it accessible to everyone. Uh, and then really that's what this, uh, this season is this summer. Uh, the preaching series is called Christianity 101, uh, and it's really trying to take the very basic elements of Christianity, the foundations of what we believe uh, as Christ followers from the Bible, uh, and just take them and not assume anything and look at each one. So week one, we looked at what does it mean uh, that man and woman are made in the image of God, so important that we're Imago Dei. We are image bearers. Last week, we looked at everyone's favorite topic, which was sin, what that does, that it has marred, broken, distorted everything, everyone, everywhere, uh, in all times. And this week, uh, the topic is grace. All right, you made it through sin last week, so you get to hear uh, just an unbelievable, not an unbelievable sermon, because who knows, it may be a flop, uh, but the, the content's going to be really good. The topic is unbelievable. I, I had a friend of mine named Lewis uh, was texting me yesterday, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm studying. He said, what are you studying? I said, grace. He said, I really like that word, uh, and you should too. Uh, so hopefully, as we walk through uh, one of the most truly foundational elements of the, the, of the message of Christianity, uh, I hope that it comes alive to you, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe for the first time you truly understand what it means when we say God is a God of grace, or maybe you have heard it a million times, uh, and one more time, it just stirs your heart at what God has done for us. Um, the Old Testament, for the most part, was written uh, originally in Hebrew. Uh, New Testament was written originally, most of it in Greek. Uh, and so we take the, the original, the Hebrew and the Greek, translate it into English, into what you have in your hands. Uh, but the New Testament, they didn't just translate it, translate it into Greek. Uh, they translated it into what's called Koine Greek, uh, which was the common street language of the day. It would not have been the language of the, uh, the intellectuals and the cultural and, and, and the academic elites because they wanted the message of Jesus 
Jesus to be accessible uh, to everyone. Uh, and then a few centuries later, uh, Johann Gutenberg in Germany would invent the printing press, and his goal for that was to get the Bible and the message of Christianity to everyone so that uh, no matter uh, what your status in, in politics or in, uh, in your culture is, you can have access to the gospel. And so that's my goal today. Uh, and I'm going to be using Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 4, kind of as our home base. Um, we'll visit quite of other cultural, uh, quite a few other cultural landmarks as we walk through. Uh, but that's going to be kind of the, the, the home base that we're going to look at in trying to understand what does it mean when we say that God is a God of grace. So if you're ready to hear about grace, I may need your help this morning. Say ready. Boom, that was good. What a Father's Day gift that was to me. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4. If you have your Bibles, please follow along. If you don't, you can follow along uh, on the screen here in front of you. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. If you're new to the Bible, the Apostle Paul, uh, who had a pretty wild story of his own that was um, very sinful, very broken, was on a mission to destroy uh, this movement called um, Christianity. He was imprisoning Christians, tearing families apart, trying to destroy churches. God had grace on him, changed his life. Um, he, he, he became a, a, not just a Christian, but a pastor and a church planter. And he's writing this letter uh, to a bunch of Christians, a local church there in Ephesus. Uh, and, and we're going to drop right in the middle of it. In fact, uh, verse four begins with the word, but, and it's a big, but, right? I thought about this week. We should, I should write a book, the big buts uh, of the Bible. But uh, did you know it's already been written? Somebody stole my idea. Apparently, I'm not the first one to think of that. Um, but like uh, the, the but is a, a, just a huge transition word. And if you look before the but, uh, you get just a whole lot of sin. What we talked about last week, just the brokenness of humanity, the brokenness of us individually. It's just a lot of bad news that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But, and then here comes the good news. So this is Paul writing to Christians like you and I, and he says on the heels of some dark, bad news that we're broken, we're sinful, we're, we're dead to God spiritually. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. Paul says, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. There are literally hundreds of places we could go in the Bible to talk about and to preach on grace. This is one of my favorites. I think it gives an unbelievably full picture of what it truly means that God is gracious. Um, a couple, I guess, 
I don't know, back in the 1950s, uh, there was a man that many of y'all are well acquainted with, at least his writings and movies that were made from his writings, C.S. Lewis. And um, he, he, was, he, he was kind of on the outskirts of this meeting uh, in Britain uh, where there was uh, just kind of some experts of different world religions. And they were all in this meeting comparing uh, different world religions. And what they were trying to do is for each one, and particularly for Christianity, uh, they were asking the question, what is it, the one thing that makes Christianity distinct that separates it from the other religions? Uh, and they were kind of, not arguing, but they were uh, debating about uh, what the answer to that might be. And they couldn't come up with the answer. They thought about uh, the idea of the incarnation, um, but then they realized there's uh, multiple religions that would make the claim that their God uh, visited through some type of incarnation. Uh, it's definitely not having a moral code of right and wrong. Many religions have that. And in the middle of this, this, this discussion, C.S. Lewis comes walking in the room, and here's the first phrase that um, somebody <laughs> quoted from that day. They said, he walked in and he said, what's the rumpus about? Okay. We don't use the word rumpus near enough. Okay. So write that down in your notes. Use that at some point this week. He walks in and says, what's the rumpus about? They explain, we want to know what, what is it that makes Christianity different? He said, oh, that's so incredibly easy. It's grace. Grace is what sets the message of Jesus apart from every other religion. There was an article in Christianity Today uh, in 1997. Uh, which doesn't seem to me like that long ago, uh, but then you start crunching some numbers and doing some math, you're like, good grief, that was over a quarter century ago. Uh, I think I told you the other day, I was talking about what I refer to as the 90s, uh, and a young single person that will remain unnamed in this church uh, referred to my childhood as the late 1900s, Okay. It hurt. It cut deep. In the late 1900s, uh, there was an article in Christianity Today called What's So Amazing About Grace? And I want to pull something out uh, to read uh, just about like what, what is it that, that sets the, the, the message of Jesus and Christianity apart from everything else? And this article said this. It said, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge no strings attached. It seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Parentheses. I think that's one reason we can like, realize that the message of Christianity, it didn't come from man because nobody like that's man-centric comes up with this idea that God would give us something that we couldn't earn, that we didn't deserve. This is a message that came straight from heaven. It goes against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path says the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law. Each of these, in their own way, offer a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Aware of our inbuilt resistance to grace, the article says Jesus talked about it often. He described a world that was so infused by God's grace, uh, where the sun shines and the rain falls on both the good and the bad, like a visitor from a foreign country who notices what the natives overlook, Jesus saw grace everywhere. Jesus, to, to, according to my study this week, Jesus never used the word 
grace. But he talked about the, the reality and the concept often. In fact, if you look at a lot of his parables, what he is trying to do is communicate uh, this concept of grace. If you look at the story of the prodigal son who uh, just lost everything, completely shamed his father, uh, and he comes back, he's given grace. He's given acceptance that he didn't earn. If you talk about not just Jesus's teachings, but his interaction with people, with the woman at the well, who was her life was a dumpster fire, and she met Jesus, and Jesus gave her grace. Although Jesus never mentions it, uh, his stories are saturated with the idea of God's good, unearned, unmerited favor towards sinners. And then as you take Jesus's life, and we'll look at this again in a few moments, uh, the, the disciples, after Jesus had, had been crucified, in a tomb, resurrected, ascended, gone, the disciples would try to sum up just his life and his impact, and they would use the word grace. Like in, in John chapter 1, John says, the, the, the word of God was made flesh and made his dwelling among us, and he is full of grace and truth. That's just how they, they saw and understood the entire impact and message of Jesus' life. The word grace is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Big theme for us to understand. So I want to take grace um, kind of like if you... Um, I grew up poking around a little bit in eastern, um, eastern New Mexico, uh, and you find these little things called Pecos Valley diamonds. Uh, and I used to think, oh, just, you know, it's, it's a diamond. I just found a diamond. Uh, turns out they're not nearly as valuable as a real diamond, but they're fun for a kid to find. And I would take it and just kind of twirl it up in the sun and look at all the different facets of it. Um, so we're going to pick this diamond up for a few moments of grace and just try to spin it around and see a lot of the different uh, elements and promises for biblical truth grace. Number one, what is grace? So glad you asked. The word uh, for Greek, uh, in Greek for grace is charis. Uh, and we actually had uh, a little girl that was born at Redeemer not, not too many months ago that they named her charis. And I thought, what a beautiful name uh, and what a beautiful thing. Charis, what is grace? It means very basically God's favor, his goodness, and his kindness towards us that is undeserved. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but he gave it. Uh, and on Father's Day, uh, I feel like this this is uh, somewhat of a helpful example, at least I hope it is. Uh, try to understand grace. You take, a, take the picture of a good father or even a good mother, good parents that uh, bring a child into the world and you have this uh, new infant that has contributed nothing, right? They've done nothing besides mess up their diaper and scream and wake you up on Father's Day. And, and, but, but then you see that like the heart of the father or, or the mother that like if they're, if they're good people, then they, they, give, they, they love their kid all already. The kid hasn't earned anything, but because of the goodness inherent to uh, the dad and mom, they just love the kid based on grace. It's because not of something the kid has done, but because of the goodness of the parent. They have grace. They love. And, and what you see happens is um, they will basically love that kid into their future. They're, they're perfect, unmerited, unearned love will help shape that child to realize that they didn't earn that, but then they will grow into it, so to speak. Grace. Uh, look back at verses 8 and 9. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, it talks about uh, just this, this concept of grace being free. He says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. 
Okay, if you're a Christian, you didn't do that. <laughs> if you're a Christian, it's not because of something we did. It's because of something that he gave for free, not your own doing. It is a gift. It's the free gift of God. It is unearned, unmerited. What is grace? That's very basically what it is. Uh, we, I believe, in our culture, but probably in every culture uh, that has ever existed, we have a hard time receiving grace, like receiving something that's very valuable, just given to us for free. Uh, imagine if someone tried to give you a house, right? Uh, I, I would imagine there would be something in you that would kind of resist uh, and push back against that. And maybe you're like, listen, don't tell me how I'd respond to Somebody give me a free house until I'm put in that position, right? No, like literally somebody gives you something very valuable. Your first inclination is like, no, I can't take that. I can't accept that or I need to contribute to that. We have a really hard time accepting grace. Three reasons, I think. Um, number one, um, because oftentimes we feel too undeserving. Some of y'all, maybe, maybe that's how you feel when you hear about God's grace. You think, well, I can't, I'm, I, I'm, I'm too undeserving. Uh, he can't forgive me. He doesn't want me. He can't use me because I've done too much. I've brought too little to the table. I have too, I, I, I'm undeserving of grace. So oftentimes we struggle with receiving it. Second reason, uh, maybe honestly, we think we don't need it, okay? Um, the Bible would label this mentality as being self-righteous. Like, actually, uh, I don't have a problem accepting the grace of God because I think and you've got to be real honest to put yourself in this category. I, I think I kind of deserve it. I mean, I actually am a pretty good person. Uh, and so we think, well, I don't need grace because I, I, I can contribute. I can help. I'm not as bad and broken and sinful as the Bible would claim. And so we struggle to accept it because we think we don't need it. And the third reason is uh, we're just surrounded um, by conditional love. Uh, we're surrounded by conditions um, that almost teach us that the idea of pure grace is just an illusion. It's not real. It's fantasy. Uh, and you felt this in your relationships just as much as I have. Um, somebody says, I love you because, and then insert uh, a condition. Uh, because you do this, because you have this, because you uh, don't do this, or I love you until... And if there's a condition that's inserted, I love you until this happens or until this is gone or until uh, you screw this up or I love you unless. Uh, and just most of the relationships we have, there is some element of condition to it. It's not unconditional. And so we, we take that and absorb that uh, communication so much that it makes it so difficult to truly understand the grace of God. What is grace? Free unmerited favor from God. Why grace? Why grace? Number one, you need to know this. Um, God gives us grace because number one, we need it, okay? We need grace. If you have two options to um, get to God, to have a relationship with God, to be with God forever, if you have two options, one is you can work your way there and earn it. And the other one is it's just given to you. The reason we need the grace is because we can't earn it. Okay. Uh, there was a preacher that I love to read uh, in, back in the late 1700s, George Whitfield. He was a very animated preacher. He had like a theatrical background actually. And he would have these like really incredible um, ways that he could describe things that would make you see it uh, really plainly. And he said like, if, if you're trying to earn your way to God, you might as well be trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. 
right? And if you take the, if you take the words of Jesus and you say, no, I don't, I don't need grace. I would rather just kind of earn my way. You just take the Ten Commandments, and uh, I'll just tell you this. You're not going to earn your way through those suckers. Like, because Jesus gets down to the Ten Commandments, and he's like, listen, it says don't, uh, don't murder, don't kill. Um, but he says, actually, that what that means is you can't even hate someone. If you've ever hated someone, you're guilty, right? If you've ever stolen something, you're guilty. Uh, if you've ever lied, you're guilty. If you've ever looked at a woman or a man lustfully, you're guilty. So if you just take the Ten Commandments and like, I'm going to use these to earn my way, uh, none of us are going to get anywhere even close. So why do we need grace? Because we can't earn our way in. It has to be given. It has to be given. Number two, uh, why grace? Not only do we need it, but Jesus is full of it. Not full of it. He's full of grace, right? <laughs> Do not quote me like, I don't know what Pastor Jason said. Jesus is full of it. He's full of grace, okay? He's full of grace. If you, if you ever, if you know someone that's very, very generous and you just kind of look around at their actions, they're like, well, uh, he or she, they keep giving generously to this and giving generously to that and giving generously to that. Uh, what you have found is a generous person, Right? Because they're generous, they then give generously. Why does God give grace? Because he is a gracious being. That's who he is. He loves to give good things that are unearned. He, in his nature, is gracious. So why grace? We need it, and he is full of it. I'm going to amend that for the next service. Uh, and then number three. Look back in verses 7 through 9. Why grace? Why is all of Christianity built upon the concept of grace? It glorifies Jesus Christ. Works steal glory from Jesus. Grace casts glory onto Jesus, which is the purpose of Christianity. It's to create an entire group of people that have this stance that like my life has been changed I'll be with Jesus forever because of what he has done not because of what I have done more on that later next question to ask who gets grace okay who gets grace I'm going to lean on Jesus's half-brother, James, who wrote uh, the book uh, in your Bible that is, uh, bears his name, James. They have the same uh, mother, but uh, James's, er, James's father was obviously Joseph, uh, who knew Jesus very well, grew up in a house with him. And side story, don't have time for this, but his little brother was convinced that he was God. I, I believe that would, that, that's a strong case for Jesus being who he said he was. Uh, I have two sisters, and neither one of them think that about me. James 4, 6 says this, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, and then James quotes the Bible, he says, God opposes, or think about like a stiff arm, God opposes or stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Who does God give grace to? Everybody say it. The humble, okay? Important question. Are you humble enough to accept your need for God's grace. That is, that, that's the question of your life, honestly. Because if you come to the conclusion, like, you know what, I need some help. Uh, I, I would really love for God to contribute and to help me out in a few things. And if he contributes 99 and I just chip in a little bit, guess what? You don't get God's grace. You don't get God's grace if you want him to do 99% and you to do 1%. It is truly all or nothing. 100%. Like, 
you got to abandon your pride. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the proud is the one that's like, listen, I don't need God's grace. I am, I'm pretty good. I'm going to earn my way towards him. You get a stiff arm from God. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble, to the one who actually would come to him and say, listen, I don't bring anything to the table. I have nothing. I need everything. That's the kind of person that God unloads his grace upon, the humble ones that truly know that they need it. Keller puts it this way. He says, the only thing that you need is need, and yet most of us don't have it. The only thing we need is empty hands, yet most of us show up with something. True, honest question. Are you humble enough to accept 100% free grace? Because that's who gets it. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Next question, four points to this. I'll have to move through these very quickly. What does grace do? If you recognize, like, I need God's grace, I want to humbly come to him, I accept it, then what effect um, does grace have on your life that really is, it's the watershed. This is what should make uh, Christians very, very different than, than, than everybody else in the world because the grace of God has changed us and done something to us. Uh, four major things, we could, we could talk forever about what grace does. Four things, at least. Uh, grace gives us incredible confidence, okay? Uh, Pastor Jonathan just read this a moment ago. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us then come with confidence, right? What, a, what an interesting word for him to use when he's describing a sinner walking up to the throne of God, confidence. Why? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? Grace. The throne, the, like the, it describes the throne that Jesus sits on. Why can we come confident? Because we're good? No, because he's full of grace. To, to, that, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is why you can have confidence. Listen, it just said in time of need, Okay. Some of y'all, you're in, a, you're in a time of need in your soul, in your marriage, uh, in your parenting. And what this says is that you can go ask God for help confidently, and he is not going to say, well, how have you been doing? How have you been performing? He doesn't start measuring our merit when we ask for help. Why? Because he gives grace. He helps people. Christians that come to him, why? Because his throne is a throne of grace. That should give you incredible confidence to even on your worst days, when you have blown it, you don't have to come crawling into the throne. You still come with great confidence. Why? Because it's based on grace. It's based on grace, not our performance. Number two, God's grace gives us great security. Okay, great security. This is why it's so important that we realize um, that, that we, we get into a relationship with God through grace and not works. Because if we get to it through works, if we earned our way to it with good works, we lose it by bad works. Y'all with me? And that's not, that's not, that doesn't give us a lot of security. That what that does is breeds very, very insecure people um, because uh, just kind of how we feel like our relationship with God is tethered to our actions. So on good days, we feel good. On bad days, we feel bad because we try to tether our identity to our works and our activity. And, and so if it's like completely separate, if you didn't earn it from the beginning, you don't have to keep it. 
If God gave it to you as a gift from the beginning, it's up to him to keep it till the end. It breeds unbelievable security. Unbelievable security. Um, years ago, and I can't remember, I'd have to ask Hannah, um, we were in Colorado, and uh, I can't remember which kid it was, but we were at the, um, the Rio Grande Gorge. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there, but there's a bridge that goes over the gorge. It's just these unbelievably steep walls um, that drop down hundreds of feet to the uh, Rio Grande River. And I remember I had one of our kids that was an infant. Uh, and I, I had this kid, and I was holding them tightly and got to the edge and the kid just started to freak out because they're looking down uh, and they grabbed my shirt, okay? Now, in their mind, they're like, you know, I'm safe. I'm not going to fall because my tiny little hands are holding on to dad's shirt, right? But if you zoom out, what do you see? You see a dad that's got these giant, not giant arms, just these, you know, ripped, you know, but no. <laughs> But they're bigger than my infant, right? <laughs> all, things are, all things are relative. I have just like big arms and I'm grabbing them and I'm holding them. And it's like, well, is the kid holding on to me? Yeah, yeah, it is. Is that what's going to keep it from falling? No, <laughs> no. Okay, so you're secure. Are you holding on to Jesus? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Is that what's keeping you safe? No. <laughs> what if you let go? It's fine. He's holding you. If you are saved by grace, you are saved, you are kept safe by the hands and the arms and the grip and the resume of Jesus, and yours can come and go, and his has come to stay, and you'll be secure. Some of y'all need to know that. Like, if you're truly in Christ, you're safe, you're secure, because it was never based on your merit, so you don't have to keep it. If you didn't work it in the beginning, you don't have to keep it. Number three, it makes us grateful uh, worshipers enjoying Jesus. Grace makes us grateful, right? That's one of the effects that it should produce uh, in us. It makes us grateful. Uh, Look back at verse 9. Paul's talking about grace and boasting in heaven. He says, not a result of works. Like, it's, it's grace, not works. Why? So that no one may boast. Okay, what, what Paul is saying is that if you're a Christian and you are forgiven and you're going to be like in heaven with Jesus forever, no one is going to be in heaven and boast about what they've done. We're not going to be there and be like, well, I, I like this place and uh, I got here because I am a good person and because I didn't do this, because I did do this, because I made this decision. Like anything that starts with I, it's not there, right? Why? Because heaven is a place that was designed for us to boast only in Jesus. Uh, Paul says this, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it it, it makes us grateful. And I've said this for years. Um, God did not design uh, heaven to be the place where everyone goes if they're scared of hell. That's just not what it's for. It's for people that want to worship and glorify Jesus forever. And that's very different. And what glorifies Jesus? A bunch of people that declare his grace. Look at verse 9. He says, like, this is what we're going to boast about in glory. And if you can't boast about this, you don't get in, right? I'm here because of his, the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ. You'll find out that true grace makes us boastful in Jesus. Number four, it makes us evangelists. 
You can tell the people who truly understand grace because they seem to share and talk about Jesus the loudest. Because they recognize they've been forgiven of something. Uh, you know, go back to the, uh, uh, to the woman at the well. Uh, just, I won't get into all the details, don't have time. But her life was an absolute mess. Uh, she was filled with guilt and shame, some things that she had done, some things that had been done to her. She meets Jesus. She experiences a moment of unprecedented, unbelievable grace. And she goes running back to town and you couldn't shut her up. Why? Because the, the, the deeper the grace that's experienced, the louder the praise. Paul, we'll get into him in a moment. He just, you could not shut the man up about Jesus. Why? Because he had experienced an unbelievable level of grace. Grace should turn us into people that talk about Jesus a lot, that want to just share the gospel. Like, like God has done this to me, and I want to, I want to share it with you. In fact, if you want a real honest moment, think about how often you are an evangelist or you, you talk about Jesus or you invite someone into a Bible study or church, and that's probably going to be correlated to our perceived need for grace. Because the deeper the grace, the louder the praise. Paul says this in Acts 20, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's kind of like Paul's mission statement for his life. Listen, I'm here. I'm going to tell people about the grace of God. It makes us loud evangelists. Three short testimonies uh, about God's grace, and I'm done. Uh, number one is going to come from the Apostle John. Uh, again, new to, if you're new to the Bible, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, uh, and out of those 12, Jesus had three that he pulled in a little bit closer, uh, and uh, he was one of those three, uh, and actually, uh, he would be basically Jesus' uh, best friend. Jesus' BFF on planet Earth was uh, John. And after Jesus' life and ministry, the Apostle John writes the Gospel of John, the Apostle John writes the Gospel of John to really try to explain the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. And I, this is going to be on the screen. I think this is so powerful. This is the Apostle John trying to explain Jesus. In John 1, 14, he says this, and the word, and this is a reach back all the way to Genesis, um, the word that was present at creation. You had God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the word that Jesus was there. He's not a created being. He's been around forever, all right? The word became flesh. It means he got a human body. John says, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, or his weightiness, the glory as the only son from the father and he is full of grace and truth most of the time those two words don't go together right grace and truth grace or let's start with truth truth meaning that that everybody if, if somebody knows everything about you they know all of the truth about you and grace is that you're still accepted most of the time we feel like we have to choose right like, well, if, if, if so-and-so knew everything about me, they would not love me or they would not accept me. And so we try to manage and keep people at arm's length so they know just enough where they will love us, but not enough where they will reject us. Keller says this. He says, to be loved, and I'll, I'll preface this. I believe that the human was made to be both known and loved to, for, for grace and truth. Keller says, to be loved 
but not really known. It's comforting, but it's superficial. To be known, fully known, and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, uh, that's what it's like to be loved by God. John would say, like, Jesus in some wild way was full of grace and truth. He knew everything about us, and he still loved us. That's how John described Jesus, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 in John 1. For from his fullness, we have all received. John's looking at us like, everyone was a recipient of Jesus' grace. We've all received grace upon grace, he says. For the law was given, or the standards, or the expectations that we might earn were given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that's stirring in your soul to be known and loved is ultimately only found in Jesus. Why? Because he's full of grace. That's John's testimony. Second, I want to go real quickly look at Paul's testimony. Okay, Paul um, came to faith after the resurrection, right? He was persecuting and trying to put an end to uh, the Jesus movement, and, uh, and Jesus uh, met him post-resurrection, gave him grace, changed his life, and uh, grace shows up in absolutely every letter of Paul. If you, if you read Paul, then you're going to read about grace. Why? Two things. Number one, he talks about grace in a theological way, explaining the concept of grace. And then two, he constantly talks about it in a very personal way, his personal experience and his personal testimony. Uh, I'll look at one example from each one. Uh, Paul, all the time he talks about grace. In Romans 3, he talks about it as a theological truth that you need to know. He says, and he's just trying to explain how grace works. And he says, for by works of the law, that's doing good things, No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift." That's a theological understanding that you can't earn your way to God. It must be given to you as a free gift. But then he so often, if Paul gets a chance to to talk about Jesus, he's going to go straight to his personal testimony. Acts uh, or 1 Timothy uh, 1 is one of many, many examples. He's talking to Timothy, who is a young pastor. He said, though formerly, he's he's looking in, in his own rearview mirror, and if, and if you're kind of kicking the tires on Christianity, you're curious about this, and you think, I don't know, all these other Christians seem to be squeaky clean, not true. <laughs> we all have some type of past, some type of baggage, some type of sin uh, in our past, and Paul's no different. He says, formerly, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. See, for Paul, it's not just that grace was a a piece of his theological glossary. It was what he had truly experienced from God. He's like, I was a broken, sinful mess. He had no reason to save me, and yet he did because of grace. Changed Paul's life forever. Third one I've got is very quick, uh, and this is just a little of my testimony. 
Um, this was probably 2008, and I don't. Well, I do know why. Uh, this moment sticks in my uh, my memory very clearly. I was in a parking lot of an academy uh, in Arlington, Texas, just off of I-20 by the Park Mall, uh, and for some reason, I was struggling through and reading through uh, Ephesians 2. I don't know. I don't remember the uh, how that came to be, but that's that's what was taking place. Um, because what I had kind of been taught uh, in 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 my theological circle, I don't know where it came from, but I just kind of had this idea that um, people like me that were sinners and broken, we were kind of in this ocean and we were uh, struggling and we were drowning and Jesus comes up with the lifeboat and he, he tosses us a, a lifesaver and he just kind of saves us. Like we were drowning and dying and could just like, we needed help. Jesus shows up, tosses us a lifeline, says, grab on, right? And... Um, and I remember in that parking lot for the very first time, something about that didn't jive in my heart with what I was reading in Ephesians 2. Because Ephesians 2 didn't say, and we were wounded in our trespasses, right? It says we were dead. And I remember for the first time what I saw, that I was spiritually dead. Jesus didn't toss me a lifeline. Jesus jumped in, grabbed me, drug me to shore, gave me spiritual CPR, made me new, alive together with Christ. For the first time in my life, in my mid-20s, I realized the depth of the concept of grace, that I didn't bring anything to the table, not even by making a good choice. He is the one who did everything. And I remember for the first time being overwhelmed at, oh, wow, <laughs> I am, I am here, I am saved, I belong to Jesus forever. I didn't even contribute 1%. He gave everything. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that none of us get to boast. And if we boast, we get to boast in the Lord. Last thing, and I'm done. Grace, it's free. Okay, the first, I remember the first day of my economics class in my um, graduate degree, uh, my professor wrote a strange-looking word on the board, and many of y'all have probably heard this. Uh, it's Tinstoffel. Has anybody heard that? It's just kind of an acronym that takes the first letter of, there is no such thing as a free lunch. He's like, if, if, if it's free to you, somebody paid for it. It costs somebody. Right? It's like the two sides of Good Friday. Well, it's good for us. It was a bad day for Jesus. Grace. It's, it's free, unmerited for us. Why? Because Jesus on the cross paid it all. That's the only reason we get free grace is because Jesus footed the bill. Jesus lived a life in our place, died a death in our place, paid the cost so that we might be given grace. And I hope the Holy Spirit shoves grace so far down in our hearts that it just changes us to the core, causes us to worship and celebrate who Jesus is, and that's what I'm going to pray towards now. Jesus, we are in awe of your grace. Got so many things in our heart push against and want to earn our way, but I pray that you might give us the grace to let go and to just accept your good gift. You are truly a God of grace. Jesus, that's how people defined you and tried to describe you, that he was just grace upon grace, full of grace. We're a people that need it. I pray that we would be humble, that it would change us, and that we would truly celebrate and be ambassadors of your grace. These next few moments, 
I pray that our hearts and our mouths, they honor you and they glorify you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.